Welcome to the Knock on Archery podcast, where we bring all archers and bow hunters together from all walks of life with the goal to educate, empower, and inspire you to be better both in the field and on the range. Welcome to another Knock on podcast. Holy smokes. The podcasts are back in action. What's up, dude? Just my weight. It's always up. <laughs> Is it? No, it's not. You've actually lost quite a bit, to be honest. Uh, full disclosure. So right now, tax season's over. Podcast, I'm going to get going again. And FYI, some podcasts will be available with video. And I've decided I'm not going to try to do them all with video because, quite frankly, it puts a kink in podcasts getting done when I'm having to find a studio to do it i'm going back to the old way of i'm going to do podcasts in camps and wherever i'm having fun and if there's no video sorry everybody but when there is video bonus you can watch it at work when you're not supposed to so dude i don't even know how to totally describe you because we met i mean do you kind of want to explain how do you, do you want to explain it like, random yeah do you want to explain how we met and then how we re-met yeah and then where where you were when we first met you were working at shields in eau claire right shields in eau claire going to department. school still going to college yep all right yep, well introduce yourself dude <clears throat> yeah my name is les welch i'm from like you said wisconsin uh eau claire area and i was going to college in eau claire and a friend of mine out of Menominee, Brian Jiskro, randomly put together this hunt out of the Turtle Mountains. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that, but I think it was Turtle Mountains. Somewhere. It was, it was in Botno, North yeah, Dakota. Yeah, yeah I remember Dakota. that. I've got stories about getting there, too. Yeah, yeah. We worked all day, packed the truck, and we started driving and wound up in North Dakota for like every dollar of like five or six hundred bucks back in the day it was i think and you and me both dude <clears throat> yep that was it cash a paycheck and go go chase a whitetail so it was uh must have been end of august because i think we uh started hunting labor day weekend ish yeah I, we were, i think we were done by labor day weekend because okay. i remember a bunch of people like kind of coming into the town they might add an early goose season which i think geese was a big thing up there too oh yeah totally was but uh yeah we and and so that was less's side of the story uh or that hunt my side was i don't really remember how i learned about it i kind of feel yeah. like jeff miller at shields because at the time i was a sales rep for wisconsin um and so when I would talk to the Shields accounts, I talked to Jeff uh, Miller, who is Greg Miller, the writer's brother. And uh, Je I think Jeff told me about this place, you know, because I told him I want to go whitetail hunting early season. I think I told him I'd love to shoot a whitetail in velvet because I remember his brother shot a velvet whitetail like in like an early monster buck video or something, I think. So I was telling him about that, and he said, I've, I heard about this place. You can go in North Dakota, and you might be able to get one in full velvet. So I ended up booking with this guy who I think was just a goose guide, wasn't he? He really? was. Yeah. yeah. And um, <clears throat> so I, to backtrack, this kind of plays in a little bit with um, kind of with 
what I talked about in some past podcasts. I did some podcasts with the Hunt Wise guys, and I was telling them how there's an evolution of becoming a bow hunter. And what I have now at this age is certainly not where I was when I was younger and, you know, when I was in my 20s. So then I was a sales rep, and um, I drove a Hyundai Accent that got 40 miles to the gallon, and every piece of hunting equipment I had went in that freaking hatchback Hyundai. And that's what I hunted out of. So there wasn't even room in the front seat for nothing. Like, I don't know if you remember when I rolled up there. Um, but I remember I got to Fargo and my gas gauge was at half and I turned West and I don't know what road that was, but it was a road like heading it pretty much went until it was like straight south of Botno, and then yeah. I had to turn north. But I kind of thought like, you got half a tank of gas, you're in a Hyundai. Yeah, you're like, and I think that was good for like a hundred, because I think I got just under three hundred miles to a tank. I think so. I just turned left and just went for it. And next thing I know, I am like gas lights on. <laughs> it's like buried flat on the post, and I'm just like dude you're gonna freaking run out of gas in the middle it was like the first time i'd ever been that far north in in yeah. north dakota There's nothing out there nothing <laughs> no. well dude all of a sudden i saw like silos like co-op silos and i and i i immediately thought that those silos will have tractor fuel or they will have a can of gas for a lawnmower or something that i can buy so I just like took a turn and headed into this small little town. I don't even know what the name of it was. And I was just heading for, I was just like heading for the co-op in the dis distance. Cause I knew they're going to have some kind of fuel. Right. So I end up barely rolling into this little town and this dude comes out and starts feeling like it's like a full service dude like this is how a full service gas station in the middle of nowhere this is this guy's in coveralls just looks like a huge barney fife and i remember like you said cash your paycheck and go hunting i had saved you know i would i would cash my paychecks i would i would deposit my paychecks and i would always cash like 200 bucks and i would take 100 bucks and put it in an envelope that i had and it just had like hunt on it hunt funds and which i still have dude i still have an envelope that i oh, do yeah. that you know as uh as i make you know my little side cash sharon knows about it but i still kind of do it just because <laughs> it, it's habit but i i'd put 100 bucks in there and then i would put 100 bucks to like spend and you know whatever for the week so i had this thing and i pulled out a hundred bucks well back then you know what was it a dollar fifty a gallon yeah probably so dollar fifty a gallon times 9.5 gallons that fit in there you know whatever that was i i i filled up and i remember giving the guy like a hundred dollar bill and he looked at it like he had never seen one in his life and he just kind of looked at it and looked at me and he goes if you want to just go change yourself out so i'm like okay i went in there there was no catch register 
and I kind of popped my head back out, and uh, I could see him like looking in my windows, you know, of my thing. And I go, "Hey, where's your cash register?" And he goes, "Oh, the money box is in the the freezer." Yep, yep. And so I look in the corner, and there's like an old pull lever refrigerator i pull that and then open the ice box and there's like an old like metal money drawer where the he had lost the key and like broke it out with like a screwdriver so i just flipped it up and like changed myself out and went out there and then i remember uh he kind of looked at my ride and he's like so are you going deer hunting and i go yes sir i'm going deer hunting he's like where are you going and i told him i'm going up to botno and He's like, why are you going that far? He's like, I have so many deer around here, which looking back, this kind of plays in. Like, if you're a hunter and you're nice and you talk, right there was possibly a better opportunity than we had, dude. (laughs) I think probably. So, uh, anyway, with that fill up, I then get to Botno. Botno? Is that what it's called, I think? yep. And uh, I just rolled in (laughs) as the freaking, I mean, dude i had to have been was i 21 yet i don't even know i mean i had to have been early 20s let me think what year was it 2001 i think it was one 20 years ago i think it was one yeah 20 freaking years ago yeah so i would have been early 20s and and honestly i didn't drink till i was like 27 so i i was definitely not like partying in camp i was just there and there to kill something there to kill something met you guys and to i don't know do you (laughs) want to kind of sum up what happened i mean the the hunting it was a classic example of no homework was done none the stands were horrible dude we were like pretty much just sitting it, it almost felt like I was hunting bears in Alberta or something. Yeah, I think the wrappers were still there from the corn bags. <laughs> I, think they had, I think they had just drove away when we drove up. Yeah, was, and, the, and they were like, rough. these spots are prime. Yeah. And I, I, I remember the mosquitoes. Didn't, oh we, have, didn't we have the gosh. bug tamer suits? We had the, the leafy bug then. tamers? Yep. That's right, yep. dude. Those were, ho- yeah, they were horrible. And then what, what did oh we do? Did we do... Uh, two or three days at least two or three and then i finally just said let's not do this yeah i'm like (laughs) all right we're freaking improvising so uh i did i'm was i the one that said it to the guide about the fields because we remember seeing them we'd get picked up and we'd we'd drive back to like where we were staying and as we were driving back were we at a hotel i don't even remember a motel or something no, it was like a farm. Oh, we were in a farmhouse? Like an old farm, yeah. It, it was yeah. so long ago. Deer I don't crossing the roads every night after, you know, going. Yeah, we'd be hunting the whole time, and, and then we'd come home, and there's just deer yeah. all over the place crossing the roads out of these massive sunflower Sun fields. Huge. So uh, eventually I just looked at the dude, and I go, dude, how many bucks are out in these sunflower fields? Yeah. And he's, and he pretty much said. All of them? Yeah, they're, the sunflower fields are full of bucks. Oh. So I just said, why are we hunting in the forest over like a Milo pile or whatever the hell he had out there? And this was public land. Like we were hunting. Yeah. I think my stand, dude, I'm pretty sure he told me like we couldn't have been far from Canada. I feel like we could see Canada from like some of the stands or something. Brian killed his buck 
like if it would have went the other way when it ran, it would have been in Canada. <laughs> we were on the fence line. Okay. Like I think we were. Okay. Yeah, I think we were. We legit were, yeah. So uh, <clears throat> I just freaking told this guy, listen, we're gonna we're gonna do what we do yeah. in Wisconsin, which is deer drives. Kill deer. And we did, dude. We uh the first thing that came do you remember the first thing that came out and went to the northeast? A big old freaking moose. That was oh, the first yeah. moose I'd ever seen in the wild. I don't know if I ever told you this, but when <clears> we <throat> pulled up and I looked at the situation, um, there was a huge field, a full section, I would yes. say, a full section. Giant. And there was, and honestly, the way the wind was blowing, I knew whoever pushed first, the deer were going to button hook around yeah. and stay in the sunflowers, but in a different, like, yeah. yeah. So I just, you know, when they're like, all right, well, who, because there, was there four of us or five of us? I think there was at least four. Four. At least four. There's three of us, I think. So I just said, I'll push first. And then I think you just said, I'll push too. And I kind of yeah. looked at you like, oh, yeah, yeah. this so. pushing first is the choice. So we put them up in the back <laughs> and we were, we got in there and started walking. Oh, we're in those gosh. sunflowers. Dude, they're like, they were right. I've never seen I felt like, like I was it. in Children of the Corn. Yes. But once we, once the deer started getting like yep. in there, they were like running by and they would run up to us and like look at you and turn around Crazy. in those little lanes and run just out. Run back. And, uh, and we're just kind of in there just walking real slow. And I seen them. I could I could look up with my tippy toes and I could see when they were bounding. I could yeah, see the all tips. You could see was the antlers. Yeah, as they bounded. And I seen them button hook around, and I saw them <laughs> go to this one section of the field, and they just stopped. And I'm like, okay, they're gonna stop right there. And then we finished that push. Yep. Maybe one or two squirted out on those guys. Yeah. I don't and they didn't even shoot. They're like, nope. that. You can't do that, you nope. know. And so then. <laughs> we rebooted and i told you i'm like dude this is all us i go look yeah. look at the back corner of this yep. i'm like it feeds into that freaking drainage i'm like they're gonna squirt too. out they're right going right end. out that corner <clears throat> and so we went back there and uh did you go to the corner or were you further down i, I was up here and you were up okay so yeah you were i had a perfect view of them that's okay yeah, so yeah you <laughs> You were in the one side where there was a little filter to a drainage. And then yeah. in the corner, there was a very good drainage filter. But what happened was um, I actually went to the corner. And as I was in the corner, I could see this one little low spot that was, well, it was 90 yards from me. Uh, and I kind of thought, dang, they're not going to come to the fence corner. They might run the fence corner, but I, I kind of felt like they're going to go out there. So then... I ran down there and got there, and as they were driving, I could see the racks bounding, just and like they six of them, just yeah, and they they mine got on the fence line and started coming. So I freaking second guessed my my first decision, yep. hauled butt back to the corner, and then sure enough, my buck just veered, and and yours got to you first, right? No, was yours? No, you shot first. Like they come, the first two or three come, and yours actually jumped the fence. And then stopped and to he, look back? Yeah, and he stopped to look back back there. And I'm looking broadside from John to the deer, and I'm like, geez, he's like two miles, you know? <laughs> and then you just, you don't even hear it. You just see the arrow just go up, and I'm like, whoa, where's that going? <laughs> and then 211 yards later, it just goes, <laughs> and 
It was it was so cool, but I knew when he impacted that. that Just to be clear, that's how far he was from me, but that's not how far I was from the deer. My no. shot was a bomb, but it it was a long bomb. It, it was cool. Yeah, yeah, it was like you probably didn't even think shots like that were happening then but that was they weren't back in the day supposedly yeah (laughs) they didn't happen i mean it just wasn't normal then no he i actually he jumped and stopped where he smelled me standing at that other crossing that's what it would have been so when i and what's funny is i stood right there and ranged the corner posts like a hundred times i ranged several posts to know like yeah. if the deer came to that corner and, and stopped to jump which post they'd be at and so when i was in that corner and that buck jumped and stopped right next to that freaking tree i'm like dude easy he's 89 yards yep. and honestly that year i mean during those years i was probably shooting 20 to 30,000 arrows at 90 meters. So it, I just freaking slid my sight down there shooting 22 13s or yeah. something stupid. Yeah. And just freaking sent an aluminum just right into that thing. It, it was, was a perfect. Ten, it was a 10 point full velvet. Yep. And then, uh, he didn't go 30 yards. And then did I start pushing for you or what no. happened? No, as soon as you shot and I saw that arrow and him run, I knew he was done. I actually run down the fence line and got over to you because I knew the rest of the deer were going to follow because you only got the first two of like six or eight Oh, that's coming. right. That's right. So I come down, make, made the hook around the fence and, you know, knelt down and sure enough, you know, his buck is laying right there. You know, you just see the one big beam coming up full <laughs> velvet, 30 yards, just cool as not. And we get an arrow knocked and like, so he's still next to the fence where we were shot. I'm like kind of looking at his deer and look up and all you see at us is like four racks like bounding. And I'm like, holy shit here they come draw back dog <laughs> like here they come i'm like whoa draw back and you know like elbowing john and like this buck leaps the fence yours was close three dude. yards yeah <laughs> we plug him at like three yards and he runs out and he lays like i think the two are either 12 or 18 yards yeah apart where they yeah lay. both of our deer were dead inside 20 yards yeah and it was so cool yeah so so les and i actually have a picture together uh i had no facial hair and i was probably heavier yeah you were heavier way heavier <laughs> way heavier like yeah but was yours velvet too yeah, yeah yours, yours was a big eight and yeah. yours had a full velvet that's yeah. right so we shot two velvet bucks on a hunt that would not have panned out otherwise no. improvised no. yeah it was hot mid 90s oh um, yeah and it was labor day when we killed oh was, that's pretty cool yeah we killed on labor day yeah because i think back then honestly i would have had such limited vacation time mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure that's why was, i went yep, on that weekend because yep. i probably honestly i probably like left thursday night after work and yep. took one day off work and then you know, drove through Botnaw and probably was in my car in the morning when that morning hunt yep. started on the Friday is yep. probably what I actually, I remember that I got all yep. my stuff ready in that parking lot. Um, but yeah, that was, dude, that was crazy. So, uh, what did you do then after school? That's when we met. So then kind of continue on yep. just so everyone kind of understands your background. Yep. So graduated, went and did the machining engineering deal. Um, enjoyed shields so much. I actually went back and uh, managed the archery department in Eau Claire with Jeff Miller. Um, did that for a couple of years. 
just enjoyed this industry so much. And then actually went back into machining for another like 16 years. Um, got to work with the guys at Matthews a little bit. And yeah, we talked about that. You definitely came yep. up. I remember when we built, when we built the one wing and I think at that time, uh, Scott Jenkins, Scott who Jenkins, we talked yep. about, he actually moved, his office moved out there and we doubled our Haas. You yep. were a Haas kind of guy, yep. which was, which was big. And then I remember at that time, Scott did hi- hire someone to step into the role when he was running machine because yep. Scott was pretty much cutting specifically for Matt and R and D bows. Right. And so Scott would cut bows, uh, get them to Brandon, Brandon would build them and then I would shoot them. Um, yeah, it was crazy, crazy back then. Yeah. And then what, so where did you go like after that? Cause I would have been gone in 2006. Yep. Just stayed local. Um, so worked in Chippewa, Eau Claire area machining up until 2017, uh, went down and did Texas trophy hunters. I've been working with Sitka though, since 2010, um, Kafaru since 11 and a number of companies, you know, for yeah. the last 20 years. And when did you get with Leupold and TAC? Um, so I've been doing TAC for a long time um, with Sitka uh, and other companies and then Leupold about four years ago now. Okay. Yep, met Riza and just, again, another family grown yeah, company. where did you meet Riza then? Because she's with <laughs> RMF. Um, yes, she is now. She was obviously with Leupold then. And okay. So we had done an event in Vegas or Reno, I don't remember, just out one night having dinner, um, slid up to the bar, one open spot, just to order a quick dinner and yeah. hit it off with Riza randomly, didn't know who she was, and the next day I'm in the Sitka booth and Riza walks by and is like, hey, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, what are you doing here? Kind of thing, you know, and... <laughs> just hit it off and yeah here we are now but that's freaking cool uh so you've done every tack since since it was most bowcast i've taken a few off to go uh shed hunting like uh <laughs> opening weekend in colorado you know is uh may one so i s- skipped that a little bit yeah i remember so just so everyone kind of understands what's happened is we've come into tack and you know kind of really trying to just spend time with gra- what I refer to as grassroots archers, you know, hundred percent. Exactly. Um, they're the people that I was, it, ba- it goes mm-hmm. back to the story, right? It's like who I am and why I do events that everyday archers relate to and why I'm not, you know, dedicating all my time to being on a professional tour is the reality is, I competed so that I could just be a better bow hunter. That that's really what it boiled down to. And then once the end of August or bow hunting season came, I was I would not go to tournaments. I would stop tournaments and I would literally make a few changes. I mean, that bow was essentially a 3D bow that, you know, that I would have been shooting in right. 3D. You know, the arrows were more or less the same, but they had inserts in, they had a little bit bigger fletching. I was actually shooting expandables, some of the very first rocket broadheads then. Yep. Um, actually, that might have been a freaking Rocky Mountain sniper, dude, like from Bruce Berry. It might have <laughs> been. It's been a minute, though. Yeah. Um, it could have been one of those. But, you know, I, I went from a scope on my Sherlock to a 
to a freaking that five pin that yep. Steve Gibbs made for me, you know, which pr- it was probably the first movable sight you'd ever yeah. seen. I mean, had you seen a slider before that? Can't remember because I think I was running then an HHA, the half crescent slider. Really? I, I didn't think that would have been out yet, but maybe it was. I think they're one on, of the very first ones. Yeah. But you'd be limited on that thing's oh, arc. Yeah. It, I yeah. mean, it, it was kind of limited on distance. But, um, yeah, I I invested in attack just because I want to. I want to, yeah. you know, I want to connect with the knock on nation. That's yeah, what I want. Yeah, yeah, it's a hundred percent like who we are. So. Totally. Les came up to me after the Leupold came out with the full draw four. Yep. And you guys came up to me and you showed it to me. And honestly, that's kind of how that connection started because once I saw the algorithm of Archer's Advantage built mm-hmm. into this and I talked to your engineer about it, I'm like, okay, this, this rangefinder is actually built for archery. So you and I started talking, then you, you kind of – you looked at me like, do you remember me? And I was just drawing a blank, like, kind of, but where was it? And yep. then did you pull that picture I had out? to pull that photo out, yeah. <laughs> yep. And you guys will see it. Yeah, I'll, I'll make, the, I'll make sure I post the video with, uh, with or the <clears throat> picture on a slide. I'll put yeah. the picture next to this. But yep. I think it was Michigan a couple years ago. Yeah, I like, and I was just like, holy this? crap, dude. <laughs> Who is that two fat dudes? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, holy cow. Yep. Both of us out there freaking doing drives and sunflowers Man, early like, season. Like the leafy suit? And yeah, I well, think. dude, they were leafy um, bug tamer suits because... White the, t-shirts like, on underneath, like cotton, <laughs> sweating. <laughs> yep. That's all there was, <laughs> That's then, all there dude. Was. All there was. Or uh, Fruit of the Loom freaking uh, Long Johns. Like, he just yes. freaking, everything we had just <sighs> made you want to die. Yep. Those, and those leafy suits in the in the bug tamers were so freaking hot, too. Yeah. It was just like pure net that wouldn't let the sweat out. <laughs> that brings back memories. Well, you've got some really, you're such an interesting dude. Um, you do a lot of, I feel like you do a lot of, um, a lot of great PR work for everybody that you represent because I mean, you and I shot with over 10,000 people, you know, on a target this year. Incredible. When you think about it. Yeah. And a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people experience their personal best longest shot. I never thought I could do that. Um, We should put together a reel of all the people like, couldn't do that yeah and then dropped them twice or two and a half times further than they've ever shot yeah and just like changed the entire atmosphere the whole weekend for honestly for their whole group that came with them I a could, lot of times I, I could go on this thing and show you the the texts and the dms and the private messages like people have reached out and said you made my weekend you made my year like i don't even care if i go to target too i don't care if you know we could be done shooting right now this yeah. is this made my day you know it, it, it's experiences like you can't put into words like i think we we're talking about either this morning working out or last night like, i got away from inches even in animals like if it's an experience whether it's deer elk you know that little what is 11 year old kid that had uh 
Matthias was it? Yeah, Matthias. Twenty yard pin, and his mom says he pin. can have anything in shields if he hits the target. And John's like, "Well, well we're going to make this happen." And then she's like, "Maybe backpedal a little bit," which was a good call on her part because what is it, hundred and ten or nine? Yeah, that was a long. That was probably the longest sass we had at any event. Yep. He had a twenty yard pin. You had scrapped up like <laughs> a, a handful of dozen arrows. In yeah, my hand. you like, had so gonna, many lost and found arrows like in your hand. You're yep. like, it was like at the end of the day. You're yep. like, we're, we're gonna, gonna make this. We're work. gonna make this work. And yep. freaking arrow one dog. <laughs> <laughs> like I swear, it went to the moon, and then it came straight back down from the moon, and just it squashed like. Right in the. Did I pick? Was there a cloud that there was a cloud? So we were way above the trees, and we had to wait for that cloud to come. I'm like, when that comes in, 20 yard pin right on, like, because it looked like something. Yeah, I can't remember. There was a point on it or whatever. Yeah, and I'm like, like, right there, dude. It's like, yep. I was plumb bobbing, waiting for the cloud to like get over, squatch his head, and then he freaking lets one rip first shot. Yeah, that was so awesome. Well, honestly, dude, you're as grassroots as I get. I mean, I've, I think if I would have stayed going down that path, I I think, you know, I would have definitely been much more under the radar, especially when, especially when you like work for someone and you're in, if you're internal, it's not like, you know, it's hard for you to, to kind of grow yourself because you're really there for the team and you're there for the brand, you know, and that was honestly, that was one of the, the hardest things for people that worked with me at Matthews and, and honestly looking back, I think I definitely now as, as an employer, I recognize why some people, you know, I always thought it was jealousy, which honestly a lot of it kind of does boil down to that, but it was hard for people to see me being promoted by the company because of my shooter status. And then they also know they're like promoting someone that's right next to them or an office next to them. So I was in this very weird kind of place of, I was a high level competitor, but I worked for, you know, the, the biggest bow company in the world. Right. And, you know, and had some, some really important roles there. So I was seeing things from different ways, but I was always, honestly, I was always the grassroots person when it came down to like where I hunted. A lot of the spots I hunted were kind of like what you did and honestly what you still do. So uh, you don't talk about it a lot, but tell people like, give me an, give me a list of numbers for like whitetails because you're, such an awesome person for like the everyday guy that isn't getting invited on you know cool mm-hmm. hunts and and honestly i know i get invited on some some cool hunts in places i would never in a million years think sure. that i'd ever go but i do like to ground myself too you know and i like to you know go do a turkey hunt in texas on my own or go do hog hunts or you know i'm getting ready to to literally go on a you know on a a DIY hunt with some close friends for two weeks just to change up the pace and not go to a, you know, to a, a big well-known place. I'm just, I want to go back and that's where you've stayed. So when it, for like deer, where are you at for kind of all over? Like I, I hunt the Midwest a lot. I've I've been in North Dakota a couple more times. Um, Iowa when I'm lucky enough to draw, which is two to six years now. Kansas has been real good. You know, you can 
Maybe I should not be telling everybody yeah, this don't either. Doubt, dude. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> yeah. Don't do anything yeah. dumb. Yeah, it's, it's getting so <laughs> much. Like harder I'm totally to willing to talk botnock because, yeah. yeah. hey, everybody, you know, the sunflower right? fields are only going to be good till they're till they're combined. Till they're picked. Yep. But yeah, just so you know, like if you freaking if you drop a any type of hint, there's. <laughs> yeah. 300,000 people listening right now that are getting ready to freaking jump on your stuff. But, but the one thing with that is too, is like, it's been public land since day one, since the day I've turned 12, well, it was 12 in Wisconsin. Now I don't even think there's a limit anymore, but it's all public. 99% is public land. I got a buddy in Kansas who's let me hunt some 10 to 20 acre chunks and I've killed a couple bucks on. Yep. Um, But even Kansas is mostly public. Iowa's been all public. Wisconsin has been all public except for a little 40 that we have there um, at home. South Dakota, Nebraska, North Dakota, all public. All of my elk, um, all public. All DIY, all backpack hunts, a couple truck hunts. Just, you know, backpack in a a couple miles daily. But everything is... Stay close to the center of that mic, otherwise. Botna was the first and only hunt that i've paid for in the states i've done a couple of guided bear hunts i took my son on one when he was 13 or 15 i don't remember somewhere in there otherwise it's all figure out the tags i love tags i love figuring animals out it's like salmon fishing dude i like i I sold my 28 foot boat a few years ago because i couldn't find enough people to go salmon fishing but for (laughs) for me it was like putting 30 rods out figuring it out and like when the rod when that rod went off when that salmon hit i was like i didn't care i was over it like i'd already my job was done like let somebody else reel it in that's what it is with diy otc public land you know scouting like i'll sit in the e-scout forever get out there and then you know i've got a through z and then double a through double z spots like this is what i'm gonna do like go get it go figure it out and i might not kill four elk a year i might kill one yeah you know you know a couple years i've killed two or three but it's i I just like figuring it out yeah And, and going back to the relationship side of it like hunting has been so intense for me since we've been since we've grown up it's what we've done yeah in tack i'm kind of going back and forth but they do relate like in tack i haven't even brought my i brought my bow one time this year is because i brought the also flew the leupold custom bow out i'm like well if i'm bringing a bow case i'm gonna bring my bow i never took my <laughs> bow out of the case i know you never did last year i never even brought my bow the year before i brought it twice never shot it like for me it's the people total archery challenge is as grassroots as it come and the relationships we build inter companies but with one another with all of the random people that i've met that I even talk to now, like, you know, they'll message me on Insta or whatever. And I love it. Hunting is the same way. Like it's all about that experience, chasing the chasing bugles from an hour. I'll leave camp an hour before it gets daylight, dude, five miles from my truck. Need to chase bugles yeah, all day to. until dark and then have a two hour trek back to my camp, sleep for five hours and do it again. It's something about it for me. <clears throat> the freaking you're, I mean, honestly, your CV is freaking more impressive than mine, you know, because I honestly never had the time to, like, commit like that. There, I always would at home, yeah, you know, but to go to another state, there were, well, I mean, there were, actually, there are times. A lot of what I kill in Canada is all crown land, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, a lot of, I definitely killed in Iowa before I moved here, you know, yep. public stuff. Kansas did some public stuff too. But what, if you were to tell people three things 
that will improve their odds hunting public land or you know diy over the counter i mean those are kind of three different categories but what are three things that people who are getting out there and doing it themselves what's three things you think could could make them better that you don't hear people talk about enough one i see so i've wrote for rock slide since it was inception um snyder called me before even launched it and said hey would you write and one of the things i see on there all the time is people won't go like they're afraid to do it they'll plan it they'll you know say i'm going to do this in five years and i'm telling you right now it's august two three four whatever day it is you could plan a september one colorado elk hunt right now and go do it like colorado's otc there's a ton of units idaho's well it's not anymore but you could literally go kill an elk right now if you started planning it so just go do it get your feet wet people are scared they're like well you know Corey jacobson says this all the time like elk average success rates are like 10 percent, and it is that is literally what it is but i know people and our rates are 90 percent. it's not it's i don't think that people are gonna think i'm nuts but it's not hard to kill an elk it's really not get out there put your time in understand what you're doing be in shape know how to look at a topographical map whether it's on your phone whether it's an actual paper map and understand what you're doing you don't have to be the best caller in the world go hunt yeah honestly letting them talk naturally is your best bet mm-hmm. i mean and let them do know, what they do and get in their way yeah and get in their way and strike mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah you know the thing with those odds are it doesn't tell you how many people never went you know they got the tag and then they just said like eh. i mean what i'd like to know is what the odds are for people who have killed elk prior Mm -hmm. because then all of a sudden that number would be like wait a minute you're telling me 70 percent of the people who have killed an elk before now kill elk or let's just say it's 50 well that's five times better there's some legit elk killers out there that kill elk every year so what does that really make the odds when you pull them i don't of think pool? i've ever ate an elk tag in alberta <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, and it it's crown land yep. you know okay well i shouldn't say that there's spots where i have permission in crop land to where if they come out of the crown and the river bottoms and they get into the crops i can l- hunt there because i've knocked on doors and i have permission but most of the time they're if you see them out in the crops, it's at the first freaking crack of light. And as soon as as soon as soon you can see them with the binoculars, they're normally heading for cover. And you're just trying to dive into that cover and figure out where they're going to. They'll normally cover a lot of ground fast and, you know, and yeah, kind of get right. where they want to be. Yeah. And, and so you, so you just have to, you have to like stay up with them. And a lot of times the bugles are going away, but you got to it might take a mile or two miles mm-hmm. but then they slow do down. slow down and they stop yep. and then they start feeding, feeding again and, and they around. they and they'll mill mm-hmm. for they'll mill for an hour or two in the morning but Before they're they normally bend. deep yep. in their spots yep. and that's a good time where you know a bull will kind of be walking all around getting his bearings for where they're going to lay down in bed and he'll bugle a time or two and he might not respond but he'll do it and if you can stay stay just somewhat yep. close you're going to be in a good shape well okay what's another uh tip so when we elk hunt i either hunt solo or with um, a buddy i've hunted with a lot like i just said we leave an hour before we leave camp and sometimes we'll be six miles from the truck we'll still leave an hour before daylight start working ridges looking for bugles 
and we hunt all day we hunt until like legitimately to the last minute you can yeah and then we might have two hours back who knows where you wind up we hunt midday we've killed yeah the one thing i'll say with elk is if you do the same path every single day and if the elk are moving and especially if you're in a spot where you're not going to like bump them there's certainly spots where elk um it was this way in a place i hunted in oregon the elk bedded in a very specific like hillside so once they got to that you didn't want to bump them off that or then out in that open country where we were they would be four or five miles away doing the same thing on other people's you know going to a food source but then coming back so if you're in a spot where you're trying to strike in a transition zone you know sometimes it's not worth following them but when you're hunting in areas like what we're talking about you may you may make a freaking five mile half moon shape but if you don't follow them the next day you're gonna have so much wasted time trying to know where they because they're not going to do the exact same thing every time when you find them you got to stay on them till dark if you feel like well, I'm going to go back because I can have three hours back. Like three hours back mm-hmm. at camp is a huge waste of time when you're yep. going to make so much noise and racket going back out, going back in. And they do sometimes hit a water hole midday yep. or move again. And then now you go back to where you thought they were and they went to a water hole at four o'clock and staged there for a minute. And then they beat feet back to where they're going. So a lot of times I think, um, and I'm going to let you finish your sentence, but I feel like when you do what you just said, you actually set yourself up for success the next day. Mm-hmm. Cause like if you're leaving an hour to go listen for bugles, you're going to pick up where you left off. If you left off with nothing, then you redo a new spot. Yeah. I got a new plan. Then. But if you left off, if you left elk, you've got to get back to the elk before dark and pick up because yep. they might be a mile, you know, half mile yep. from where you left yep. off. They're not going to move as much once it's dark. However, like, being within earshot of them again and then doing the same thing when you do it a full day you're setting yourself up for the next day to be in a better position absolutely and a lot of guys will go back to lunch camp for lunch 11 o'clock 12 1 go back out at two or three whether that's at the truck whether that's at a bivy camp or a spike camp we don't like i just i will not get off the elk and if i don't have elk i'll find them i'll find elk in the middle of the day um in 17 in colorado hunter killed a bull at 10 30 in the morning we broke it down got it to the trail and then it was six miles a little over actually to get out we got most of that out i had to drive him to the airport three hour plus drive to denver so he could fly back for school i got his last load out hiked back in killed my bull at 12:05 p.m heard him bugle at 11 30 moved in sat waited till he bugled again bugled once and killed him Packed that bull out, drove to Wyoming um, on day one there, four miles in, killed a bull 2,200 feet up from my tent at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Those are three bulls most people want to kill because the 1030 bull, they would have been on their way back to camp. Yeah. And those two were at lunchtime. Is it like, um, <clears throat> I, I'm actually a person that I agree, you know, relating elk to turkeys isn't totally fair. Uh 
I mean, they both talk at you and then mm-hmm. like, and they'll come in when they're talking and calling, but it's not the same thing. Um, with turkeys, I know that if I can get a turkey to talk like after 11 or 12 o'clock, the chances of them being killable is very high. I mean, Much I normally tell people that I'm guiding or calling for, if we can get a turkey to talk this afternoon, you will get a shot. Yep. Is it the same way with elk if they're bugling in the afternoon? I guess I've never really put in like it, I've it never is. I've never really put a it's very similar a watch to like when yeah if I shoot elk. I guess I've never even paid attention with whitetails a hundred percent, dude. I yeah. know how many yeah I kill between eleven and two yeah. during the prime time. I'll go the same way. Like yeah, if I can. It, you can tell when they're bedded. Their bugle's different. If, if it's a yeah, bedded bugle, yeah. I'll just I'll work in on him, try to keep him bugling, and then just try to get as close as I can. But if he's on his feet, yeah, he's yeah, because they will bugle out of their bed. Oh yeah, and I've and they're not, yeah. and they'll literally stay there. But yeah, you can honestly, what I would do in that situation, keep the wind right. You know, try to make sure you're thinking about thermals um, for the evening. But if you can just still hunt and really spend enough time to where you can get yep. binoculars on that sucker before he sees you or his cows because he's going to have cows around too yep. so you can't just like plow in thinking that he's going to be as noticeable when he's bedded but once you find him my recommendation is when you find him spend 15 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. looking everywhere around him and try to find another ear or eyeball and that's honestly that's the case even when you're spotting a mule deer that you find out there it's it's not the big one you really once you see the big one you're like okay there's a big deer right there and that's a shooter the next thing you should do is what dinks does he have what life mm-hmm. jackets does he have freaking laying all around him yep. because those are the ones with the big muleys there's always a freaking four corn or yep. a spike somewhere and if you can find that sucker and make sure that you can establish an approach before that one stands up then you're good or you might just decide oh crap now that i'm looking he's got three cows underneath him and there's those two four corns are up above him so then what you got to do is how do i get into a position to where i'm going to wait here until everything gets up for the evening and i'm going to utilize that last 30 minutes to make to make my strike but you have to sit off Mm -hmm. and not rush in when you when you know if you know there's too many eyes there's stuff to his left there's stuff to his right i'm not going to be able to get past those things to get a shot so what i need to do is get as close as i can and keep my scent right and be patient and stay in the shadows so i can just watch and do a be- and do a better job of picking things apart because you might be like okay now i actually see three bucks high right. and i see him but okay here and then you can find a tree like if i can get to that tree then i'm in a good staging spot so spend your time strategizing and not rushing in once you see those other ones or try to find the other ones because they they will be there most likely always and that's with a with a bedded bull nine times out of ten you can't be aggressive with them you got to let them get up on his feet and get moving and get aggressive sometimes you can make them aggressive but more times than not i found if you try to do that Make him aggressive when he's bedded. He's going to get up and go away. You know what Ulmer told me? Ulmer told me one time in those cases when he has a bedded bull 
and he can find them and then he kind of does what i said go mm-hmm. in he'll sit back he says that most mature bulls when they get up for the evening they always rake mm-hmm. and he said he kills a lot like once they get up and they stretch and they take a leak and they walk around they might bugle and then they'll go and start raking he's like as soon as they get in he's like go yep. and he just said they close their eyes when they're they're raking oh, yeah. totally. i killed it the biggest bull i've ever shot in utah i shot he he i could hear him and another bull getting close to each other and they got really freaking pissed off and i think he kind of got the other bull to leave and then he just like wanted to prove his dominance and i could hear a tree just getting trashed and i looked up there and 100 yards away he was just freaking trashing this like i don't know it looked like a russian olive or something Mm -hmm. or maybe it was i don't know and I just, I, I think I pulled back and ran at full draw and just told my camera, like, my camera guy, like, let's freaking go and just ran up to him and shot him at, like, 35 yards or 20, I don't know, maybe 25 yards. Just yeah. ran up to him at full draw, you know, going fast at full draw and then got right there and he was just, like, freaking trashing it up and I stuck him. Yeah, raking. And it was early. It was like Elk had just got up and started talking. Yep. But that's, you know, it was like awesome. Or, you know, you know what? Like, don't be afraid to be patient on mm-hmm. on freaking water. Water yeah. is a killer. It and, is. I mean, if you're a total novice hunter, and granted, I talk about how I hunt whitetails, and a lot of people look at me and they're like, I can never do it. I can't mm-hmm. sit like that. Well, Honestly, if you're someone who is used to working from home or if you like to read or if you like to write and you have freaking patience and maybe you don't like to freaking hike all over the place. Water's where it's at then. If you spend time on water, you will see game of all kinds. Yep. You'll see all kinds of stuff. And, you know, if you spend time setting it up right, you know, to where you know you're predominantly downwind of that you have you know you have a good cool little place to sit and you can occupy yourself um honestly if you sit there long enough you're gonna get a shot Mm -hmm. you know it just it's gonna happen it's it and people neglect it too but i remember uh i went to i remember i went to new mexico one one time on a diy and I think I was in unit 34, 36. And I went there and some dude just, I kept seeing him and, and, and I kind of said like, you know, how far are you hiking or whatever? And he just said, ah, I don't, he wasn't from out what I think he was from Minnesota. He just said, I put a tree stand up and I was like, all right. And dude, the guy just sat a tree stand I, and it was on water. I didn't know it at the time, but it was on water and he shot a 383 and i'm talking like and this guy this was back before filming was popular he uh filmed himself and i mean this freaking bull came in midday with this whole harem to and he sat all day for like three days on this water hole in the middle of you know wherever he could get to and he said he just heard the elk coming so he just sat there and just got ready and never talked back or anything and he said all the cows just came and freaking got in and next thing you know uh the freaking bull just gets in there and puts on a whole show and he shoots it at 20 yards and it died and it was a freaking booner 
just like yeah. heck yeah dog yep so yeah don't overlook that stuff too yeah. and whatever you're doing chasing bugles spotting stock sitting water it's thermals are key 100 percent of the time 110 <laughs> percent of the time if you don't yeah play it sma- play it safe sometimes yeah. you got to sit way <laughs> further back and you really yep. got to pick and choose when you go yep. in yeah I, i've walked away from things that i know would have elk in them but you just you can't because the thermals might be right tomorrow you know take that chance yeah okay what's one more that was two yeah thermals thermals oh thermals Thermals. is third (laughs) thermal thirds (laughs) yeah thermals are key they're everything they're 100 percent everything yeah it it really is you know you don't have to run the mountain every day with 40 pounds to be in shape but just be in a decent shape be able to you know be able to go from daylight to dark you know if you're out there for eight days and, and and that's another one like people will schedule a seven day trip or maybe nine days with two weekends and you got a day and a half drive and if you're coming from east of the mississippi and a day and a half to get back home and then you're wore out after two days so you're taking a day off you only got three days of hunting in there you know if you can schedule two weeks if you're doing diy otc or public land any of that stuff two weeks will more than double your chances um if that makes sense even though it's only twice the time it'll probably triple or quadruple your, your yeah. chances. You, well, fig- you get more time to figure the animal out. You get altitude, you know, you get... Altitude's the biggest one, dude. Yeah, because you, you like, get adjusted in four days. Well, now you're turning around. I mean, we see it at TAC. You look know? at me at TAC. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I we shot at triple digits for the targets that we stayed at. And most of them, there was an incline or a decline to get to Always. and from it. So, you know, if I, sh- if I shoot with a group, I got to go down there, yeah. get my arrows, come back. And, you know, and, and I'm hustling because there's right, people, people there waiting. waiting, you know. So I I honestly was frustrated with myself several times because I know I'm in, you know, I actually work out to be in shape for my Western hunts. Yeah. So when I'm gassed trying to, like, make it happen <laughs> quick in 100 yards um, and, or my legs are hurting or, like, we talked about our calves were calves, freaking yeah. totally pumped in Park City. Well, what sucks is it takes you when you're when you're in the flat ground and then you go to altitude, it takes you a few days to get used to the altitude. Now, if you're doing it a lot, normally just like with anything when you work out, on the third day is when your muscles are fatigued. Yep. So you get your lungs, but your muscles are freaking burnt. The, yep, and domes. so it's like and I tell people this all the time when it comes to hunting camps. By having that extra time, which is what I'm doing for myself, you know, my first hunt I'm doing, I'm doing with two friends and, you know, do, and we're going to go for several weeks just because day one, everybody's pumped. Yeah. It's hunting season. Tomorrow's opening morning. You're not going to sleep, you know, uh, you know, and, and actually I have a red eye flight landing at 1205 and it's a four-hour drive to where I hunt. So I'm going to land at 12. And I know the night before season, I never yeah. sleep. I do not sleep. I'm, like, I'm just, like, up. So I'm going to land, and I'm kind of playing that out. I'm going to land and just drive right to where I'm going to freaking start, start hunting, and just yeah. start hunting. And then normally, you know, you go through that first day, you're blazing through it. By day two, 
you know, you might go to bed a little bit earlier. You're definitely going to want to nap. Yep. You know, you got to get that day two nap in. Then by day three, hip flexors are freaking <laughs> smoked for the first time for the year. For the year. So you're you're like slow getting up. You got to stretch. You're moving a little slower. And Dude, then altitude. But then, honestly, day four and five, yeah. normally by the day the hunt's over, it's just like you can – you can get to where you want to start every morning without even breaking a sweat. And you figured out like, I don't need to wear this. I don't need right. to, wear, I can put this, this and this in my backpack. Oh yeah. Yep. I remember that's what I did last year. Yep. You're the, feeling normal. Man. Yeah. You're you know? feeling like you, you have your stuff in the right place, yep. you know, and, and then next thing you know, like you said, when you cut it short, now you've got to go right when yep. you kind of remembered and the problem is even though you're like okay next year i know what i need to do I, i'm going to write it down yeah you're not like freaking game time ready until you've been in the game a few yeah a few days nope. you know so yeah that's also a freaking helpful tip as well well what do you want to talk about dude i don't even what time is it i don't know look at your phone how long, how long have you been rocking and rolling here? Get it off. Oh, you totally I shut, shut her off. down. We'll relax. Oh, okay, nice. 55 <clears throat> minutes. We still got some time. Nice. So what do you want to talk about? One thing, we'll just back up a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm aggressive. Like, I'm oh. super aggressive on, on public land. I'm not trying to shoot a 383. I'm not trying to shoot a 350. I want to have a really good experience. And for me, that's an elk, this bugle, and a bunch unless there's a particular white tail and i did this like four years ago and i swore to god i would never do it again i, I hunted him for like <laughs> seriously my, my october days all of my november days except for one and then like 13 days in december and i was so sick of that freaking deer and the one day i didn't hunt him in november i got cam tracker or cam photos of him at the scrape working the licking branch at 11 30 in the morning then i took the day off but like 37 days on that deer and i don't know i don't know to this day what happened to him nobody that i know killed him never found sheds but like so i like to be aggressive so i don't care if it's a hundred and you know 60 inch or if it's 140 inch it's so mad and comes in i love to call and, and I'm, I'm very similar with elk i've killed a couple of nice bulls um now i'm after something that really Corey says it best he's like i want something that wants to die and i i love that like if i can if i can have nine bulls on this ridge right here and I know I can kill one, and it's going to be 340, but he's going to be quiet, and, you know, I'm just going to sneak in. Or there's one two miles away that's bugling his head off, and he might be 300. I'll go two miles every day to kill him. So that's me. So I'm, I'm very aggressive with my style, but I will always play the wind. Yeah. doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Same with whitetails. Like, yeah. Um, I feel like Ozonics works <clears throat> at times. I mean, I know, I know it has for me. Honestly, yeah. when people ask me, because Ozonics is not a sponsor, um, but I've, I have every single generation of, of them. And I know that when the conditions are right, it, it, it definitely does something. Yeah. hundred percent. Can't hurt. Um, but in saying that I hunt every second, like I do not have one. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Because, because if the do. conditions aren't right, you know, if the wind's spinning all around and if, and if you're not putting it in a place where it's actually providing the ozone blanket, you know, where your scent molecules are passing. Um, there can be some leakage and it doesn't take much, especially no. with, you know, the nostril of a freaking bull elk or yeah. 
15 elk in a harem all with nostrils right. that big is like yeah they're just it's impossible it's impossible the nice thing with elk though is you can be aggressive with noise because elk make noise exactly. you know it's not like say. it's not like a white tail or no. or a mule deer where they're trying to be quiet elk make noise and sometimes you're more surprising by like all of a sudden you're there and they never heard you then they think well that wasn't elk because exactly. they're walking grazing clicking rocks hooves exactly. their horns bop on stuff i make noise yeah intentionally like i will tow logs i will th- you know kick rocks toss rocks and when we're in a calling situation if it's myself or if it's with a partner i make more noise than people would freak like, yeah elk are not quiet randomly a bull will come in on you quiet and you're like how oh, the frick did that yeah. happen 800 pounds but yeah but for the most part a group or a single elk doing their thing they are not quiet yeah so, yeah i don't try to be quiet um do you spend time like hunting the quiet bulls like midday will you just absolutely just call and fully expect something to just all of a sudden slip in it's my favorite i, yeah. I love i love the bull because they'll ghost you that way oh totally but, but you have to you have to be you a, have to be like listen i'm gonna dedicate an hour mm-hmm. i killed a, yep. actually i killed one of the better bulls i killed in in alberta um i killed it like it, it almost ran over my buddy todd uh, when I shot it, I shot it and it ran by him and stopped and it was like squirting blood on his leg and then like freaked out in his last seconds and kind of like sprinted right past him and then fell over dead. But it was, um, we were actually driving and coming down this road and this bull just goes across the, the road in the middle of the day, goes across the road and we see him just dive into this creek system so we just kind of went up to the next section went left went like two or three miles down and then you know we walked in and got into that that system and we kind of figured he would be within earshot of us so just started hyper hot calling really loud and and we both said like we actually i know we had taken a nap and then kind of woke up and just said okay let's just start calling again started calling then all of a sudden like i just happened to catch something moving and he was just on the full freaking gallop never made a freaking noise and just came running right in middle of the day and you know my guy my guy ended up stopping him and i had like a 20 yard shot (laughs) but it was like one o'clock and came in a hundred percent without a sound and it really took two hours for that to happen, knowing that we were already within three to four hundred yards mm-hmm. of that bull. Yep. I mean, well, we were probably within a half mile of the bull yep. from where we had seen him to where we kind of flanked around. So I know he was hearing us that oh, yeah. whole time. Yeah. But he kind of just, you know, maybe had stopped and farted around or he was in a wallow or whatever he did. Never made a single noise. But when he decided, I'm going to go check out that lady, dude, he was on us. Like, where I spotted him, I'm like, oh, there's something coming. And then I'm just like, oh, it's a bull, it's a bull. And, like, before I put my freaking binoculars down, he was already there. He just had to make the decision that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. It's crazy in the middle of the day how much they would really, I think, do try to be quiet. It's weird. So any time I set up in, after 11 o'clock, if I don't have anything, if I'm working a ridge line on, you know, dark north-facing timber, usually is where, where I'm looking for those beds, I'm quiet. 
like I I am totally stealthy. I'll slight call calls. Then I'll set up, and if nothing comes in 15, 20 minutes, then I'll aggressively work my way all the way up through a heavy sequence and then back down, and then I'll still wait another half hour, 40 minutes, and sometimes, you know, you'll just see. You'll see antlers coming. Just quiet. You know, an often overlooked call is a calf call. Mm -hmm. I like a calf call. Dude, I I had a guide once that he was trying to cow call all the time, but it sounded like a really horrible calf like it sounded like a bad like squeak or something mm-hmm. and i and i was just like this is it's just it just sounded like a, a baby calf rolling all around the timber but i hunted with him three times and and have killed bulls off that little calf mm-hmm. you know because all we're doing is walking and he just walks and talks like a calf that's all he does the whole time. Doesn't have any other arsenal in the back. That's just what he does, and it worked awesome. It really did. And and I never, honestly, I don't even know how to calf call. But thinking back at it, for sure, I know that it, it would have been good. Um, so I have one other question for you. Did you did you hear the podcast I did with uh, Barclow and, and Nick mm-hmm. about land trust? So you're a DIY OTC guy. What do you think about the ability to actually book individual days on private properties to where you can be in the areas and stuff that you want to be in, but you can also book private days? Would you? Are you going to take advantage of that? I won't change what I do. That's just not me. You got your spots? Got my spots, but one of the things I love about public land, and and it's different out west because some of those ranches are hundreds of thousands of acres, right? Yeah, yeah. But like where I'm at in Wisconsin, like I I had a cabin up on Lake Superior, Bayfield County. It's got 300,000 acres. So I can go start chasing whitetails in the morning. And and again, I'm different. Like I, I don't... I don't have the big tracks of land, you know, Lee and Tiffany style, where you know every deer intimately. I don't know my yeah. deer. I, I take off, you know, October 26th, 27th, and I've done some work in the early weeks of October because I'm in the mountains all of September. So I, I have areas, and I've got, you know, 30 years of areas in my head, so I start hiking 25th, 26th of, of October, start looking for fresh sign, and I will hunt fresh sign. If, I find, if I'm finding the big rubs and then the monster scrapes, if that sign's fresh, I'll hunt that same day, and usually I kill within a day or two. And yeah. If not, I'm gone. But going back to your question, out west, like I love to roam. I don't want. I don't like worrying about fence lines. Half of the fun for me is what's over the next ridge, literally. Yeah. And, and I will chase all day long, even if I know. <laughs> I walked past my very first elk hunt. One of the things I learned is never to walk past elk, but I still do. Two thousand and nine, parked the truck, had a spot two and a half miles in in Idaho. Where I knew I was going to set my camp up, I had e-scouted the snot out of this for for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and parked the truck. And there was a bull bugling not 500 yards away. I was like, "That's the other direction. Camp is this way." <laughs> we hiked. I'm not lying. You. We hiked. So it's so my best friend from Wisconsin. We hiked for 13 hours that day. Well, we left at we left at daylight. Elk bugling, like I say, just over a quarter half mile away through this disastrous hell hole <laughs> we got in there at two o'clock in the afternoon so we had like eight hours of hiking in we're out of water we got food for, i got food for 16 days on me yeah he's got food for eight he was going to be smart and go back out and refuel i'm like no i'm not wasting a day 
we get in there and the water source we had like you would have had a helicopter to get to it like i I seriously to this day don't think you can get down to it without ropes yeah we looked at it and i was like dude if we kill so we're out of water anyways yeah no way to get it but i'm like if we kill an elk back here it took us eight hours to get in here how would we get it out and uh so we decided to go back to the truck and regroup so this is at three o'clock we've been there for an hour i literally take all the tortillas all the peanut butter i like i left food for the bears for 16 days <laughs> and i took it all out he's got four mini cans of coke in his thing that's all we've got to drink and i'm like let's just at least get out of here let's get halfway back to the truck yeah so, so for morning we get about halfway back and it's straight up and, and i kid you not like we're on knees and you're crying like pulling this to get yourself up about 100 150 feet and then it's back to normal, nice flat walk and ish. And uh, we got to there, and he goes like, "I'm done, dude." He goes, "I'm done." And there was some muddy water over there, and like, so I was like, "Go over and you know, freaking hiker pro pump some water out of it." And I look, and there's like, it wasn't there when we went through. And there's a great big mountain lion track sitting there. It's like, cool. You're gonna set your tent up right there. I said, just so you know, there's a mountain lion track <laughs> like eight feet away. And he's like, I don't care. I do not care. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm at least going to get to the top of the hill. I don't want to start with that hill in the morning. So I, like, you know, crawl my way, and I get up there to the top. Not kidding you. It was crawling up there. That's the only way to get up there. When I got up there, my hamstrings cramped so bad. We are out of water. Been doing this for now almost 12 hours. I locked up, and, like, I was almost bawling. Like, my hamstrings, <laughs> like, were this big, you know, and, like, everything was tight on me. I couldn't. I got my pack off, and it, I remember him saying that, He's gonna he's gonna go up there, ain't he? And I get up to the top, and I was like, once I was at the top, and I got those those cramps going, I only had a mile out. Yeah, like I'm going. And uh, so, about halfway back to the truck, I'm like, he'll do whatever. He'll either make it or he won't. He'll come in the morning. He's a big yeah. big boy. He's totally grown. He can make his own decision. And I'm sitting on a rock, and I, my pack is still. I'll I'll send you a photo. You will not believe it. My pack was 107 pounds, <laughs> without my bow, without my optics, my without everything that was crammed into here, and. Um, so I'm only going 100 yards, and I'm sitting on rocks and taking a break. And uh, just like I, it's dark. It's dusk. It's not dark, but it's like my headlamp is on. I'm getting ready to use it on the next jaunt. And uh, sitting there, and all of a sudden I hear something, and it kind of gave me goosebumps because I thought I was all by myself. And here's Sam. Like he'd caught, he'd climbed the hill, said, screw that. I'm not standing down here by myself. Caught up to me. And anyways, we got back out to the truck. So we hiked for almost 14 hours that day to wind up same place we left at daylight because we walked past <laughs> elk at five but well, i got up the next morning and uh well dude it's uh <clears throat> it's been awesome and super fun a good summer dude like, yeah such a cool contrast too i mean yeah i honestly really enjoy hunting private lands and i love i, I love building relationships i love knocking on doors dude you just said it like you asked me what i wanted to talk about yeah relationships you just nailed it like this whole summer of tack like i love what i do like i i made really good money in the past and i gave up a ton of money to go do what i do right now yeah but this is what i get to do i get to build relationships with people that i don't know um intercompany relationships i mean look at knock on and sika and loophold and black rifle and the companies that we have work together yeah right now. with synergy right now and and how much they're doing for the for the grassroots people yeah you it, know the it, reality is we're a hundred percent there for that yeah yeah it, it's it's awesome and I, I dude i've already i've i've like reached out like where i'm going i've already reached out to all the people that i know and i've met up there and knocked on doors and i'm like hey yeah. dude you know i'm a 
I'm going to come up again for two weeks. Going to, you know, just literally going to camp. Going to do it old school style. You know, just going to be chilling. Let Grandma know we're going to swing yeah. swing by mid morning for some coffee. And you know, hey, if you see so and so out on the four wheeler, you know, let them know we're coming. Put some eyes out. So I love that aspect. And truthfully, um, when you talk about how you love the hunt of say public land. Yeah. I actually love the hunt of finding private land. You know, it and I've never thought of it that way, but you know, there's something and maybe it just comes down to like your competitive nature. I like getting permission and I like building super solid permission and I like I love it when the landowners start doing more to help me be successful because right. it's because of the relationship you build with these people you know you just you get to the point where they're wanting you to be successful and i don't know i love that it's like part of the experience it's i'm investing all year long because i'm right. you know stay you know sending them a thank you card or you know making sure i yep you know take a gift for them or call them you know during the holidays or just like any of that stuff i think is is critical and then it just gets to the point where when you're there you're just like what happened in the yeah. last year and you want to just you, yeah you want to know mm-hmm. what the heck happened and they'll tell you you know well so these uh so and so's cow got out and that thing went through town during the state fair <laughs> and you know it's just all that stuff is i love that, that yeah. and that's why for me um i'm pretty pumped that i think just like what you said with public land, you got to go. Mm-hmm. With private land, you got to go. go like, yeah, because there's times where we get employees here, you know, that come to the area, and I and I'm just like freaking get out there. And mm-hmm. no, and in the past, I've showed people like, hey, here's some public that's local. Here's where it is. And then a year later, guess what? Still going to the same freaking spot. Have you gone and like asked anyone? No, no. I mean, it's the same thing mm-hmm. with private land. You know, right now with with the Nick at Land Trust, it's pretty awesome because you know you can just rent a day. You know, if you're driving through and you're like, "Hey, I've got a day to hunt, and I'm yeah. here," and it's an over the counter tag. I mean, imagine if we were up in Botna and we were like, "Okay, well, let's we're up here for two extra days. Let's just freaking right. find a spot and go throw some stands out and give it a try." I mean, you can do that. And then you can also start to build a relationship with locals. And a lot of times, good locals know more good locals. And when you're part of the family, then you become part of the local family. Mm-hmm. And it all just starts to add up and add up and add up. And it doesn't. We talked about this. Uh, one of the companies at TAC just a couple of weeks ago, they're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we're going to come next year. I'm like, dude, you've been to six TACs. Take a step back finish out the season, come back next year, it's a big snowball. It doesn't happen on day one. It doesn't happen on day two. It happens on that second year, that third year. And that's how relationships yeah. are built. They don't happen on day one. Yeah. They don't. Yeah, you might go, I think I could you know, hang out with this guy a little bit, but I got to get to know him. It takes a bit. You know? Yeah. I, man, time. We only, we only got like, that clock only goes around so many times and it don't matter. So do what you're doing and enjoy what you're doing and, Build relationships, whether it's hunting, whether it's bicycling, whether it's endurance, whatever, whether it's with your wife, with your kids. Relationships are everything. If you ain't got them, you don't have anything. 
So true. Dude, it was fun. Super it fun. Reunited. Yeah. Came up here. We gave away a bow yesterday, everybody. We gave away yeah. a one-of-a-kind uh, Levitate that uh, had Leopold gold, uh, black and gold, and Leopold gave away a bow. Uh, I built it in full draw five and a pair of glasses to a random person that just came to attack events. We just gave away a random full build. It was pretty cool. So, yeah. Uh, I'm like, dude, come down for that build, you know, come down and we need to hang out one more time. We have been going all summer. Like I I literally just got home. Well, he got home Sunday night. I got home Monday. And the last thing we wanted to do was like start driving and doing some more work. But this, it was hard to leave tack, man. I'm not going to tell you (laughs) like those relationships that have been so strong and have gotten so much stronger. Like I, I was telling, you know, Sean, you know, I said, Hey, you know, I don't know when I'm going to see you again, but like, yeah. I was like, nope, here, I got to go. You're yeah. not crying. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, was, it was awesome. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we did this. This was super fun. It was a heck of a year. And uh, shout out to everyone that was there. And freaking, dude, let's go kill some stuff. It's time. August. It's time. game time. Give her. All right. See you, man. See you, Knock buddy. on, everybody. Good luck. Be sure to check out knockonarchery.com for our full line of custom design products as well as free in-depth education and bow hunting entertainment to help you shoot at your best.